0: We'll be reading verses 1 through 8 this morning of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Brethren, let us hear the infallible word of God. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. The Lord bless the reading of His Holy Word this morning. Now, in our last message, brethren, we considered our Redeemer's great statement, Repent ye, and believe the Gospel. Although we are studying the doctrine of repentance, we have taken a short intermission to consider the important question, What is the Gospel? If we are to repent and to believe, what are we to believe? If sinners are saved only by repenting and believing the gospel, then it is eternally important for us to understand what it is. Now, as we've seen, the word gospel means good news, glad tidings. Preaching the gospel means faithfully declaring that great and crucial message. We must not add to, subtract from, or modify that vitally important news in any way. We are never to run it through our fleshly filters to, quote, make it relevant for our day. God's truth is relevant for eternity. Men are just as lost now as they have been all through the centuries since the fall in the garden. And the twisting and turning that takes place when it comes to the issue of the gospel is tragic. And It would be enough if you thought I were just talking about liberal Christianity, but I'm talking about what very often claims to be evangelical, conservative Christianity. I remember in my early years, around the time of my conversion, being asked to speak to a group of college-age people by a very well-known campus ministry. I went in And was uh, about to speak, and uh, the leaders of that group took me off into a closet to pray with me, uh, for which I was thankful. Then they said, now, you know, these are college people, and probably most of them are lost. So don't come on real strong with any of that, you know, stuff about hell or repentance. We don't want to turn them off. Brethren, this is evangelical thinking. In many circles. Not everyone. I'm not trying to paint with too broad a brush, but I'm telling you, this was among one of the largest groups that says that they're fulfilling the Great Commission. You cannot fulfill the Great Commission without the messenger from the Commissioner. As heralds of God we must faithfully deliver the message with which we have been entrusted. Thus far, we have seen that the gospel is a biblical, historical message about God. Number one, who He is, what He's like, what His law requires, and what His claims are upon His creatures we must proclaim His holiness, His justice, and His grace. Secondly, the gospel is a biblical and historical message about man and sin. We must tell men that their hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and that they are under God's just condemnation. We must tell them the horror of sin and God's hatred of it. We must tell them that if they perish in their sins, they will be forever lost. And not only this, but we must declare in the plainest terms that if they are utterly, or that they are utterly helpless to do anything to save themselves, from God's just damnation. If they do not see that they are sinful and that God is holy, that they are guilty and that God is righteous, they will never see their desperate need to be delivered. Thirdly, the Gospel is a biblical and historical message about Jesus Christ Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the risen Savior, the Lord of glory, King of kings, and Lord of lords. We must present him to the hearts and minds of lost men as the only hope for their pardon of sins. Sinners will never truly comprehend the love of God, which is real and and fairly incomprehensible except by the Spirit helping us to believe it. But they will never understand the love of God except they first comprehend His fury and wrath toward sin. If, if sinful men never grasp the fact that the only thing that lies before them is eternity in hell, they will never understand the mercy, grace, and love of God in a crucified and risen Savior. There is good news. For the sinner who feels the plague of his heart, there is good news for the man or the woman or the child who senses the depth of his guilt. The God man, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, has purchased full and free salvation by his death and resurrection. By His grace and mercy in Christ, God receives and pardons sinful men. If we tell them that they are sinners, it might turn them off. But the Holy Ghost will make those who hear that condemnation and that just appraisal cry out for a Savior. When the living God Himself can preach in such a manner that droves of His disciples leave, then we will not feel bad if we tell the truth and we see the same thing. Everyone is not going to be saved. And they will not be saved because we tailor make a message that makes them feel better. Men will be saved when they understand that there is a hell waiting for their sinful and damned souls except they flee to the love of God in Christ Jesus, the risen Lord. By His grace and mercy in Christ, God receives and pardons sinners. If you don't understand that you're a sinner, the gospel will mean little to you. Well, fourthly, the gospel, as we saw last week, is a biblical and historical message about repentance and faith. We must not only declare God's holiness and love, man's sinfulness, Christ's pardoning grace. We must then summons men to repent and believe the gospel. Gospel preaching is a declaration of what God, the Holy God, has accomplished for sinners through His Son, Jesus Christ. We are to plainly and clearly declare that message. And then we are to call men to repent and believe that great good news. If we're not doing this, brethren, whatever else it is, whatever other label we stick on our activity, we are not evangelizing. So, having refreshed our memories, I trust in those four important things and I hope that they will stay in your thinking as we work through the message this morning. We want to return to the urgent subject of the Gospel once again before we go back to our studies in repentance. The title of this message is I declare unto you the gospel. And we want to consider it under three heads. The first one is the message of the gospel. The second is the eternal importance of the gospel. Thirdly, we want to see the fundamental elements of the gospel. Now, I come to this passage this morning because usually when someone who disagrees with us about the issue of preaching repentance, fleeing to Christ because they have come to see the wickedness of their sins, they generally run to this passage to say, well, here's the gospel. Paul says it, here's the gospel I preach to you, and this is all that you need to tell people. My point in coming to this passage this morning is to say, this is not all that we need to tell people, and it's not Paul's purpose here to give an exhaustive presentation of the gospel. So we want to understand this passage, and lay a hold of the gospel that he's setting before us. Now, make sure you understand. You didn't just hear me say that the gospel isn't in this passage. What I'm saying is that all that we preach to men is not in this passage. It wasn't all that Paul preached. So, let's take up the first head. The message of the gospel. I will be relying on the hope that you are somewhat familiar with the epistle to the Corinthians. Because Paul was actually building a great crescendo here to come to this point. The church of Corinth was out of order. And Paul was reproving them and correcting them. Now, having reproved the Corinthians throughout the epistle for their disorderliness, And, having called them to do all things decently and in order, as he closes chapter 14, Paul now brings them back to foundational truth. The essence of the gospel. Now, why does he do this? It is amazing how often I've seen people come immediately to this passage, and I've done it often myself, to say, well, now, if you want a good, brief summary of the gospel, we go to 1 Corinthians 15. That's true. I'm not arguing that. What I'm saying is that if all we do is say, well, look, there's two or three things said here. If you nod your head to that, you're in the kingdom. We are taking our mental scissors and cutting huge portions out of the word of God. in the light of the power and mood of Paul's language here. And because of the detail and the length of his argument in chapter 15, it seems clear that the Corinthians were moving away from the fundamental gospel truth of the resurrection. Very often, we're guilty of not taking the word of God and reading through it systematically. When we're down, we like to turn over here to uh, Proverbs or into the, the Psalms and find some consolation, which is fine. But very often, that's the only way we read the Scriptures. We pick it up, we just kind of flop it open, we go here, and we read a few verses, and then we go, well, fine, I've read the Word of God today. But doing it that way does not give us a clear understanding of how the arguments unfold. The writers had a message, and they were writing very plainly and very clearly, to the situations that they addressed. They had a goal in mind, they had issues to deal with, good and bad, and they unfold their arguments, their corrections, their encouragements, a particular way. And if you do not understand at least something about the context in which something lies, you can come away greatly misunderstanding what's being said. I say that to say that Paul is bringing the Corinthians back to the bedrock of their faith in order to reestablish the foundation upon which their professed faith rests. They're moving away from the doctrine of the resurrection. That's why chapter 15 is the longest here in the, in the epistle. And why the arguments are so detailed. That's why as you read through it, some of it's a little difficult to read and to understand. Because Paul is going after wrong thinking. And he's making corrections. And the first few verses of this chapter are here to lay the foundation for the rest of his argument. So he brings them back to basic gospel truth. And that, number one, is that the gospel is a message that must be declared. It is a message that must be declared. Look with me. Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. We want to take up this idea of a a message that is declared. And you notice, quite obviously, this very language shows us that the gospel is information. The gospel is information. It's data. Uh, That should speak to our computer world. It's data. It's information. The gospel is a coherent combination of propositions. It's God's truth displaying God's righteousness and grace, man's guilt, and Christ's person and work. Now, why am I laboring this point? Well, because we live in a day and age that utterly hates the idea of doctrine. We live in a day and age where people just want to feel something. They don't want to think. They have to think about stuff all week long. They have to think about problems. They have to think about issues in their homes. They have to think about business. They have to think about what's going on uh, both in the, <coughs> the business world and their, their world at the house. And they want to think. They want to feel something. Now, there's nothing wrong with the emotions that we have. There's nothing wrong with... Uh, Feeling good things brought to us by the Spirit of God and His Word. But brethren, the gospel is not a feeling and salvation is not a feeling. Salvation comes by our believing truth. And it is a message, it comes to us, a message, propositions declared. And this is what Paul says. He's just gone through three chapters correcting them regarding the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The fact that they're all caught up in these gifts and coming apart because of their pride in them. And he says, I'm going to bring you back to square one. With all of your great gifts, with all of the other problems that are tearing the church apart, somehow you haven't seemed to notice that you are moving away from the gospel message. Message. It is something that Paul declared unto them. Paul had proclaimed this glorious gospel to the Corinthians, and now he declares it again. His word declare means to make known, to reveal, or to declare. In God's sovereign mercy and grace, Paul had been instrumental in establishing the church at Corinth. They well knew the message he had preached to them. So Paul is not introducing them to the gospel, and that's important. He's not saying, and now, I want to teach you how to do evangelism. He says, I want to bring you back to remember where you professed to have started. The very context shows us that Paul's use of the word declare here doesn't mean declare for the first time. What it means is to recall to one's mind as though what had as though what is made known had escaped them. This is the way one lexicon reads. Listen to this again. He's using this word to recall to one's mind as though what is made known had escaped them. That's exactly the point. They had heard the gospel. And now, they were in great danger. Paul is reminding them of the great message of salvation he had once taught them, which is why he adds, which I preached unto you. It's present tense and a past tense. I declare now what I preached back in the past to you. Do I trust we see what he's doing, he's saying to them in effect, "I'm telling you what I rec- what I proclaimed before. I'm reaffirming what I've already preached in the past." Now, say our flag should be up at that point. Then he's correcting them. We should be realizing now oh, something's even worse in the Corinthian congregation than some of the things that were going on, and it was. And brethren the vast majority of the time, at least I can say from my own experience and the other pastors that I know, when there start to be serious problems in an assembly and in the lives of those in it, it is often connected to a slow but steady drift away from foundational truth. The message... Secondly, it's not only a a message to be declared, it is a message to be received. To be received. Paul had a distinct purpose in mind when he came to Corinth, preaching the gospel. He wanted sinners to believe his message. He proclaimed the gospel, having the conversion of men's souls as his goal. Now, he presented Christ, hoping men would receive what he said, and the Corinthians professed to have done so. That's why there was an assembly there. The word church means a called out assembly. How were they called out? By the Spirit's work in the preaching of the gospel. A church is a gathering of people who have been brought together by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul reminds them, which you received. This is the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received. And to receive in this sense, there are several meanings to this particular word, but as it's used in this sense, it means to acquire information from another. That's what it means to receive. It doesn't talk about people just feeling something and falling on the floor and then getting up and saying, I've got it. It talks about sinners hearing who God is and hearing who they are and hearing the great work that God has done for sinners in Jesus Christ. And then God calling them by his gospel to come to the Lord Jesus. They receive information from another Now, note that word, information. Sinners will never be converted unless they receive the glad tidings, the good news. And in order for it to be good news, they have to understand something of the bad news. Brethren, do you understand this? I didn't grow up in this. What I heard was, well, God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Won't you just let Him save you? Won't you just let Jesus come into your heart? brother? you can't find the Lord Jesus Christ or the apostles saying that anywhere in Holy Scripture. we must not modify the message. It must be clear, it must be plain, and we must wisely apply it. Now what this means for us is that we must bring to bear God's message directly to the minds of our hearers. We want them to understand what we're saying. And if we're going to say it, we need to understand it. We are bringing... God's holy message of deliverance for sinners. It is good news. It's the best news. It is glorious news. It is that by which men fill their souls with the knowledge and the joy of the Lord. It is great news. It's not some little tiny hard-hearted message about a big mean God. It is about a holy God who hates sin and in His love for sinners has poured out His fury and wrath in His blessed and only begotten Son so that whosoever believes. Believing is synonymous here with the idea of receiving. It is hearing a message and believing it. That's why how we preach it is so important. We must learn how to take each context and situation in which we find ourselves and wisely present these truths for the express purpose of men receiving it. Watch the Lord Jesus Christ and look and see how He dealt with people. Always differently. There was no canned message. There was no formula about what he was doing. Yet there were certain truths that he always brought to bear. He always called men to himself. Today, we want one, two, three steps so that we can go and say to this person, one, two, three... Okay, you're in, you're not in. One, two, three... Will you be in? Would you please be in? One, two, three... You can't find that in the Word of God. You see men led by the Spirit of God wisely taking these truths and applying them. We're going to see some examples of that in just a few moments. But it is a message to be received. And we must be careful and wise in the way that we bring it. The Apostle then says, "...wherein ye stand." This is the gospel which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Now, to stand, in this sense, generally means to continue steadfastly in something. But What Paul is pointing to here is that the, the Corinthians only standing before God Relies on the gospel message that he brought him, uh, brought them. What he's saying is, I'm going back. I'm bringing the message to you again. It's been preached. I'm going to declare it to you one more time because this is what you profess, and this is wherein you stand. You have no other standing quote before God except as a condemned sinner except you believe this gospel. And this is why he goes over the fundamental truths of the gospel one more time here. So that brings us to the the eternal importance of the gospel. We want to consider God's saving power first here. He says in verse 2, By which ye Uh, By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you. Now we discover the reason Paul draws the church at Corinth back to the gospel when he says, by which ye are saved. Nothing so shakes the heart of a minister of God to its core than to see those who profess Christ straying from His truth. And why? Just so that we can say, well, you know, our religion is better than your religion. Our denomination is better than your denomination. Is that the point? Absolutely not. Brethren, the eternal souls of men hang upon the truth revealed by God. As Jesus said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Ye shall all likewise perish. Why didn't Jesus just say, well, I love you. Won't you just let me save you? This is what we hear preachers saying all the time. Christ never said this. He said, repent. If you don't repent, you will perish. And this is why Paul says, this is what I preach to you. By which ye are saved, if. By which ye are saved, if. Men will die in their sins and suffer the torments of eternal damnation except they continue in the truth of God. Continue to say you believe it, and then go back to the the vomit as a dog is only to prove that you never were in Christ in a saving way. Now let's ask this vital question, what does Paul mean by saved? Paul means that hell-deserving sinners are forgiven of every single sin in their lives by faith in the crucified and resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ. To be saved literally... Means to be rescued from danger, to be delivered from destruction as we have seen before. Because men are guilty sinners, they are justly condemned in the eyes of God. If they die in their guilt, they will suffer God's just damnation in hell forever. The only escape, the only escape for any sinner is that the God who made the heavens and earth Declare Him righteous. And how will that ever happen? When a sinner, awakened by God's mercy, repents and turns to the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting Him alone to be His righteousness. And that is why we have to preach what Paul was about to set before them. This was their hope. This is what they had professed. And now they're moving away from a signal doctrine. Jesus died upon the cross of Calvary and was raised again. The wages of sin is death and Jesus underwent the agonizing torture of the cross to pay the debt of people's sins. His blood paid the ransom price for every repentant, believing sinner. And His resurrection was God's eternal declaration that Christ's sacrifice had been received. Therefore, without the resurrection, sinners have no hope. What was happening in Corinth? They were moving away from the Gospel. Well, God's saving power is important. We want to consider man's responsibility for just a moment. This is why Paul drives home to them, if ye keep in memory that which I preached to you. You understand now why he's saying that? I preached... You believe. I preached. This is by, that by which men are saved if, if you keep it in memory. Now, this is probably not the way we would say it today. But what he's meaning is if you keep the message in mind. In other words, if you believe and go on believing... The truth. Paul's focal point is to bring the Corinthians back to the most obvious element of the gospel Jesus is not a dead Savior, He is a risen Savior. Brethren, there is a living Savior. He saves. Sinners, men, women, children. He is a Savior. He is alive. He's not just an idea. The propositions, the truths, the doctrines of Scripture describe our glorious God. And we must believe Him or we have no hope. Our hope of eternal life is bound up in the resurrection. And far too often today, we put the emphasis almost entirely upon Christ's death. And again, I I try to make this as clear as I can. I know how the human mind often goes. If you say this as opposed to that, it sounds like you're downgrading that one. No, we're not downgrading the death of Christ. We're saying that it is His death And resurrection. And this is what Paul is driving at. The resurrection is absolutely crucial to the gospel. It isn't simply saying that Jesus died on the cross, and if you believe that, you're going to be saved. It is believing on the resurrected Lord of glory. The resurrected Christ. Brethren, the gospel is all about him who is seated at the right hand of the Father in his glory. He's alive. And he saves those who believe him by believing the message. You see how this goes together? This making sense. It's important. You see, without the glory of the resurrection, Christ dying on the cross will mean little, if anything. People die all the time. But it's why he died and that God raised him from the dead. Well, let's consider the last point then, the fundamental elements of the gospel. We've labored over these first two verses so that we understand the context in which these things are being said. As Paul corrects the Corinthians, he lays out, no doubt, the core of the gospel. But there are some who make the statements here to be all that is the gospel message.
1: And that's not Paul's point. Now we
0: want to be very careful.
1: This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats.